bum 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 we should start a no straight no chaser cover band <laughs> hello hello and welcome to the inglorious pastors podcast where we talk about spirituality news and how podcasts are the modern day youth groups my name is Michael Basinger. With me are Brad Polly, hey. Matt Polly, and together hey. we are the Inglorious Bastards. Are I, they? D- I just changed that. I don't know. Are they? What would you originally have? I really had uh, spirituality news and how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah. You choose your own adventure, whatever you want to do. <laughs> uh, announcements we were gone last week. Didn't tell you. Yeah, we did. No, we didn't. We didn't know we were going to be on last week. We, re- we reported the news on Twitter that yeah. we weren't. But it wasn't a planned. We were planning. No, it wasn't. Last yeah, Monday. we weren't supposed to. Yeah, things yeah. happened. Then yeah, we shit happens. Yeah, it does. Uh, but just so you know, we, we're gonna do this episode, and then two more episodes, and then we're gonna take the last two year, weeks of the year. <laughs> that's off. two years of the decade. Off. Yeah, we're gonna take the the, the, the last. Two we'll see years. in twenty twenty eight. So that's that's the first announcement. Uh, three episodes, including this one, uh, and then also uh, episode sixty two with Michaela Casey is now. Uh, available to listen again. Reuploaded. So, yeah, I, I reuploaded. Actually, let me let me. I, I reuploaded it. Let me see if it, it's working. Hold on, give me a second here. Let's see if it plays. That's great, Michael. Yeah, it's it's working. Was I wonder what I said back then. Version or? I, I'm in fast. I'm in 1.5. Trucker talk. Trucker talk. I don't even remember that shit. I don't shit. either. <laughs> Trucker talk. What was that from? It's from episode 62. Wow. And together we are the Inglorious Bastards. Uh, we do have a special guest in the house. Uh, Michaela Casey. Yeah. That's great. Some Trucker talk. We got to bring back trucker talk. I don't know what it meant, but let's do it. it. We got we had a soundboard and you had a trucker noise that you wanted to play. That's what, That's that what meant. it meant. That's exactly what that meant. Um, also, this this episode is brought to you by Casper Mattress. Uh, is that a thing? Is it? No, it's not. Yeah, Casper is a mattress company. Mattress. Uh, I wish by, they would send us by, mattresses. Uh, cornmeal mattresses. Mattresses <laughs> made of cornmeal. Yeah, I could use any mattress. Not my dog's pissed on mine. About They're called times. Mossatras. So well, I mean, what? it was already been Massa. It's, it's cornmeal. Is it? Yeah, it had already been uh, mattresses. Maze. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's that's better. You that guys ever been? That would have made more sense uh, than what you said. Maze, maze. They're called Masa. Ma- Never mind. Nobody gives a <laughs> shit. Um, a maze, maze. So there. So your dog peed on your pee stains. The, My the, dog peed on the, the pre-existing like four pee stains times in the last week. Your dog gave you a gold shower. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. That's enough. The mattress, anyway, not me. Oh. Well. Yeah. Um, also, uh, well, okay. So we've got a trailer for another podcast. It's not really, they're not sponsoring. So they're not even giving us any money, but they, what, what, what are we doing? Well, I'm going to give them, I'm going to do a, why? Cause I don't, know. they're not even offering us anything. I've done voice work for them and I got nothing. If you want to hear more (laughs) drunk white guys talking about God, cause who doesn't, um, this, this trailer that we're going to premiere on this podcast is for Wait, you. We are? Yeah, sure. Why, why not? Why not? I can give you a couple reasons why not. Well, why not? Let's hear. Well, one, they haven't given us fuck all. I mean, they are, we gonna, they are they going to promote us... our podcast on theirs or not? I mean, you're on it, so there's well, that. Sort of. Nobody knows my name on there. Well, thank God for that. <laughs> um, Pay attention to the voiceover work. It's quality. Yeah, I, I agreed. I, 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 
they're going to come on the podcast and talk about this at some point, but oh, our, really? pe- our people have to get with their people. I'm working that day. Yeah, me too. I'm sick. <laughs> it'll just be it'll just be them and Matt. <laughs> That's great. Matt, you know how to run the soundboard. You'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, here, here's the trailer. Okay, here we go. Is this a David Crowder album? It is. <laughs> Coming soon to a podcast feed near you. That guy sounds like a cunt. You're listening to Drunk Church History with Lucas Allen and Josh Casey. Sorry, Lenny. Stories from the faith. And then he comes back, and he lives in the tombs like a a cool person does. Yeah. Um, He was goth before it was cool. (laughs) Catherine of Siena was the patron saint of soccer moms, right? (laughs) Stories from life. That's what I went to Bible college for. Right, yeah, that's, that's what we paid the big bucks for. Yeah, yeah. Probably 60 people in the room. And there is this woman just like, <laughs> And stories you'd only hear after having a few. So, I mean, when the centaur tells you to go that way, you go that way. Yeah. No. Or the raven just like snatches the loaf again, flies away, and is like, never more, bitches. <laughs> Subscribe and find us on all that's, social media. That's riveting. Drunk Church History. <laughs> and when they say drunk, drunk Church b- History, it's history, but drunker. <laughs> Recorded <laughs> in my car after work. Nice. <laughs> and by and by drunker, uh, it, see, at one point, didn't they say they drank a six-pack of beer and each did what? Four shots of vodka? At least, man. So I, I have listened to the first episode. So you, on, if you go to their, their feed... They make, us, they make us look like AA members. There is definitely yes. a slurring component to this. Yes, <laughs> it progressively... Remember, remember Matt at the 50th? Or was yeah, it the 100th? Yeah. The 100th. The 100th. It's like that, but every I week. love you guys. It's, everything's everything's fine. It's fine. I just want to tell you how, how important you are to me. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Um, I'm about four sips away from being there right now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, so check out uh, drunk, drunk, drunk church history. Uh, Lucas Allen, Josh Malkovich, Casey, uh, Michaela's bitch. Download it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, you got that one. Very good. Uh, <laughs> that is so true. It, so it is levels. so true. Uh, I kind of feel bad, but I also feel really solid about that. She's an Enneagram eight, so we're kind of all her bitches. Yeah, um, that's, that's true. <laughs> when she says jump, we say how high. Yeah. Um, yeah, I lost my soundboard. I, apparently, I just da- download <laughs> it or don't because they're yeah. not giving us any money. So who gives a yeah. shit? Um, <laughs> do you have your soundboard up? Yeah. Can you play oh, the... Oh, no, I don't have those All right. Here, wait, wait. Sorry. Oh, uh, okay. Here we go. Uh, where'd it go? Where'd your scope? Uh, I accidentally closed mine, so here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, what are you drinking? Hey, hey, I've been thinking that if we're gonna get through this, we're gonna need some fluid. So, hey, hey, what, what are you drinking now? Yeah. Uh, what are you drinking? Well, we had earlier. Yeah, sort of earlier, later, two thirds during of the a, interview. Two thirds of a twelve ounce bottle, dude. Of it's great a, of Saint Bernardus. Uh, I'm are I'm feeling this it's already. A, it's a Trappist. It's a Trappist ale, so it's like 
nine thousand percent. It's got a, a lot of bass in 10%. it. Ten percent. All about that bass, about that bass. Trap music. It's I don't know what that is. Boom. It's a boom boom. Billy Thanks. probably listens to it. Uh, it's ten percent alcohol by volume. It's produced in Belgium. Uh, it's St. Bernardus Christmas Ale, and it, it is, is fucking delicious. It's $23 for a four-pack. But it was over-carbonated, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I All of our bottles lost a third of foam. Easily. Into Easily. The Check out our sink. Instagram, Actually, Inglorious I lost, Bastards. I lost mine on Matt's uh, floor. Yeah, so... <laughs> But it, the, that's a that's a sentence you'll be saying later. The 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 two thirds that we had was was really really freaking good. It was good. delicious. Yeah. I got I c- captured not, all of mine. I'm not sure twenty four dollars delicious for a four pack delicious, but I'm not sure there's too many beers that are. No, I feel really I feel twenty four dollars worth of buzz going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, you great. do. I had some old hammer too while we were talking to. Oh, I need hammer. to get some. Didn't touch right. me. Uh, and then we have from. The, uh, the 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 Fraser the family the yeah. in, in, inimitable Frasers. Can yeah. you read it? Because I can't yeah. read right now. I'm assuming that Susan wrote this. Uh, it's in her handwriting. The handwriting is is very good. Okay, just read it. I'm just saying. It's just God. it's really quality she's, handwriting. She's a, a very good uh, handwriter. Which nobody awesome. does. Anymore. Just read it. Yeah, Matt I could Brad, I could barely read it, especially when I was sober. I finally got around to sending you beer. Yay. Thanks. Please enjoy some of the best Georgia has to offer. Wild Leap out of LaGrange. Michael didn't get the ZZ Top reference. Who? This guy with the, the big beard. Uh, our friends, New. They got a lot of that good. Yes. Did you see that? Uh, Michael, shut up. Pull that up. Billy Eilish uh, doesn't know who Van Halen is. I don't is. care. Our I don't fr- even know who that is. Our friends exactly. New, our friends new brewery, uh Tantrum in Cleveland. Cleveland? Ohio. That looks like Cleveland. I don't know. Uh and our personal favorite and Thor's uh, I don't know who Thor is. Uh Creature Comforts Brewery out of Athens. Ooh. Oh. And a local wine. Uh, sangria for Beth. Can't say it's good, but it is local. Uh, seriously, thank you guys for everything you do from the podcast. Feels like we've been friends forever. Uh, it's there it is. Uh, it's music and book recommendations to the laughter you bring to our lives each week. The podcast brings us so much joy. In that Texas town. This is one of the best rocks beginnings to a song. It's really fun to play on your guitar, by the way. <laughs> Wait, wait for it. Alright. Not to mention the community you've built for the spiritually uh, don't know what that word is. Seeking? Let's go with seeking. Uh, who've lost something? Who's lost there? Susan, you need to write a little larger. Uh, we thank you and love you guys, Brian and Susan Frazier. Thank you guys. Hi, um, Brian. Hi, uh, Susan. So, which one am I having? Well, whatever can you uh, open. Creature Comfort Brewing Company, Tropicalia, India Pale Ale. It's really, really good. Michael, what you got, buddy? I am drinking four, four Folklore. Folklore. Juicy IPA. Folklore? Folklore. 
Folklore. It's like uh, folklore. It's like parkour, but times four. Folklore. 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 Juicy IPA. Still one of the funniest things ever. Parkour. Parkour. Tantrum Brewing Company. It is delicious. It's, it's Georgia grown. It's independent craft. It's please recycle. It's Cleveland, Georgia. It's please recycle. Yeah, it's all those things. It's brewed and canned by Tantrum Brewing Company at 1939 Helen Highway, Cleveland, Georgia, 30528. And then, are you done? It says book two. I don't know what yeah, that means. Yes, he's done. And then it's I've a got, hazy, juicy, dry up. IPA, 6.4%. And then I've got uh, Wild Leap Brewing Company, their uh, ETA Transcontinental IPA, and it is fucking delicious. Yeah, all yeah, the one I really had good. is really this good. Oh, it, uh, it says ETA is a first-class transcontinental IPA that pairs the comfort of a soft, fluffy mouthfeel. Indeed, my nickname in high Ooh. school. With the pleasure of a smooth and juicy hop combination. Yeah, yeah. All right. There you go. Mm. It's really good. Thank you guys. And then we've got wine. We got another big bottle of shit they sent us to that we're going to save for another time. And we got a book Beth on the podcast. Yep, and we got wine. So, um, where where what are we doing? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's do uh, that. Bojangles here. What's up with that name? People think I'm funny. People think I'm strange. Rolling on up in the passive pub, eating it up, eating the grub. Say now, nah, give me that, give me that, give me that food. Give me that, give me that, give me that food. I want that, I want that, I want that food. Give me that, give me that, give me that food. Don't you wanna be? These uh, are treats from listener Tracy Callahan. Trey Trey, you could yay yay in the Trey Trey. Trey <laughs> Yep, that's complete Her. nonsense. Uh, she was my secret Santa Ooh. in the Pastor's Pub, and she sent a bunch of goodies, one of which was a homemade liquor she made out of Everclear and apples. It tastes <laughs> like Apple Jacks and booze. It's so good. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Uh, I like them a lot. Um but she sent these for us to do on Fat Pastards. This is uh, one is chili lime crickets. Let's let's do those first. So I've these are that. literally just chili lime flavored crickets. Man, these look thick. Michael, I'm trying to give them the crunch they God. need. Get out of the microphone. I yeah, need, that's chili lime. Yeah, those are I need good. him to know I'm like crunching a, a cricket. Yeah. It does. It tastes a lot like a sunflower seed. It's, it's a good. chili lime sunflower seed. Yeah. Mm. Yummy abdomen. Actually, those are better than the ones we've done before. I think I got a hint of thorax in there. Those are good. Yeah, good thorax. Uh, getting, and then uh, I can feel it in the back of my throat. From that thorax. Cowboy Cricket Farms chocolate chirp cookie. Chirp, it chirp. is made from crickets. Is Wait, vegan? isn't isn't she vegan? Ingredients. Uh, yeah, I guess this w- this wouldn't count as vegan, would it? I would no, it's, it's animals. It? Where do vegans land on crickets? This tastes like a bait shop. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in a bait shop with crickets, and that's what it tastes like. That's got a weird flavor to it. That's not my favorite. I actually kind of preferred the uh, regular crickets to that. Man, I can taste the bait shop in that. It tastes like a bait shop. That's, what I yeah, said that's not your, my. That's not my favorite. That's what I said about your mom last night. Really? Are you talking about Brad's mom? God. What is... 
<laughs> you know, it's going to be a good night when Brad has to be the adult. Um, well, it was a first time for everything. Oh, man. That, I yeah, just, I did not like that. I need to get that out of my mouth. Did not like the cookie at all. Yeah. Really? Tastes like a cookie. No, not really. No, There's no. something weird going on in the flavor. It's not even the... It's like it's seriously like bait shop, like dusted, like they, they swept their floor and there's something really weird. Dumped in it that. into the cookie batter. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I there's like thirty. Crickets. Is there chocolate on there? Yeah, there's a little bit of chocolate. Yeah, I don't. But the thing that's weird is there's nothing. This product is exclusively f- exclusively for people who have never been in a bait shop. There's nothing weird. Like there's nothing weird in that other than the crickets. But man, yeah. those are that just just gonna ride the bait shop train, aren't you, buddy? No, I'm being legit. Have you guys been to a bait shop? Yeah, before? I've tasted a lot of bait shops. My no, have you ever been in one? Yeah, yeah but I've been it's been a, been a long shop. time. I didn't really spend a lot of time in bait shops. I spent more time than I can even imagine yeah i did not like the cookie the uh chili lime crickets surprisingly delicious yeah those are fine yeah, yeah. i'd eat those like chips those things are kind of great uh but the cookie not my favorite but oh, thank well. you nonetheless yeah thank you <sighs> yeah you all right buddy yeah uh no. we're ready no for, he's not we're ready for Busey of the gary well, gary um sure he had a couple tweets this week i saw that are pretty good so you, you, you got to be Gary, able to find something. Do you follow Gary Busey on? Yeah, why don't? Why wouldn't you? I don't know. I now follow Drunk Church History too. All right, I don't. <laughs> uh, go ahead. All right. It never gets dark within your spirit. This has been meditating with Gary Busey. Clearly, he's never heard of depression. Gary Busey, his brother, um, Nick Nolte, is in The Mandalorian. <laughs> Wait, he is? Yeah, he's he is? the the Ugnaught. He's the one that says, I have spoken. Or, really? I don't know. That's Nick Nolte? That's Nick Nolte's voice. Well, but it looks clearly like, it just it looks just like Nick Nolte's face with melted wax. That's what it looks like. God. Yeah. How do you spell Nick Nolte? N O L T E. Yeah, that doesn't look right. All right. All right. Remember when he was in Blue Chips? Yeah. yeah Man, that, the, that movie sucks. You're listening to Look on the Bright Side with Mr. Brightside himself, Matt Polly. You don't like Blue Chips? Oh, Shaq. Movie's crap. Shaq, Matt Nover. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Was Who else was in there? Bob Knight. Well, Bob Knight was in there. Bobby Hurley. Uh, who cares? Nobody cares. Who was the third recruit? Was Shashevsky in there, too? Probably. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Was it, was it Penny Hardaway? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. Actually. <clears throat> Ironic that uh, he would get paid he would, uh, in that movie. No, he's the head coach of Memphis. Paying players? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Brad, what do you got? <clears throat> Uh, what is it? Are we, what are we doing? Brightside? Brightside? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I. I haven't really thought about it. Okay, I've just been working a bunch and living. I guess. I How mean, was I, Thanksgiving? It was fine. <laughs> I don't know what else you want me to say. It was fine. Mine was fine too. I did get to see my niece, which I don't get to see her very often, and she's like one in the cutest thing ever. Mm-hmm. So I got to hold her and. A little bit on Thanksgiving, and I literally just picked thorax out of my teeth. I ate more of those chili lime crickets; those are great. Mm. Uh, yeah, okay, that's that's my bright side. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's walking now, and it's just 
she's in that phase where like you play music and she starts bouncing up and down yeah. and like swaying yes. back. That's and a forth. fun man. When they get to like yeah, she's seven, that. eight months or whatever. And being the being the uncle, she's really fun because she gets to go home with somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So that's is that Mandy's uh, brother? brother's kid? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. New parents when they're boring for three months. Yeah. And then they'll be okay after that. Like, yeah. they're boring as shit the first three months. Yeah, yeah but they're pretty cuddly. Which they're cuddly, awesome. but they don't do fucking anything. No, they don't, but they're really cuddly, yeah. and so that's awesome. They sleep and shit and eat. And um, it's like a warm it. bag of cabbage. But anyway, so she... So there's a... There's a... Um, an older guy that... Did you say it's like a warm bag of cabbage? Yeah. Is that even a thing? No, like, it's not. God... The, the word combinations that go on in your mind are just astounding to me. I, you know, and the drunker you get, the more random they get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you have? Uh, I well, Thanksgiving was good. I'm on, I've been on vacation for a week. I go back to work tomorrow, which is unfortunate. You haven't worked since last week. I haven't worked since Tuesday. Oh man. Um, why don't we do this earlier? Oh, okay. Good talk. What? I don't know. I didn't get home from work until about quarter till six. I That's re- why. Yeah. There we go. Oh, God. Yeah. I. Anyway. So I've been on vacation for, we went to South Carolina, as we usually do. Uh, it was fine. But then on the way home, we had, uh, we met a professor of mine uh, and Brad. Brad had him as a professor as well. Probably our favorite professor, would you good. say? I mean, yeah, he's a good dude. Without doubt. Did you uh, tell him about the podcast? No. <laughs> uh <laughs> We call him. We Doc. should have him on. We call him Doc. He Honestly, Doc is Doc is our people. Yeah, he is. He's he's a good dude. He What's recommended up, he recommended a book by um, a physicist and a Buddhist to me. So we're gonna call that. And he high fived me when I said I don't go to church anymore. Um, <laughs> anyway, we had lunch with him and his wife. They were like when when I was a freshman. They were our every class was assigned like I think. Uh, I just took another bite of chili lime crickets. And you get a of, bad one? It was like musty. Ooh. Is that yeah, what you I'm mean by bait yeah. choppy? Yep. All right. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Mm. Okay. Anyway. Right, I'm not eating. You must have got the thorax on that one. Is that a one Anyway. So Doc and his wife. Oh, my God. And a couple and another couple Tastes were like our. An old person's house. <laughs> yes. <sighs> you doused in Old Spice. <laughs> like licking your grandma's thigh. <laughs> old Spice and this. Peppermint dinner mints. <laughs> oh God! Oh, make it stop. Crickets oh. are the protein of the future. Fuck you. Ooh, you're gonna have to flavor it with some Ooh. barbecue or something. Oh. Anyway, yeah, okay, I'm done with it. Okay. Anyway, Doc and Cindy were our uh, class sponsors. Chicken yeah. fingers are done. Oh yeah, they are. I'm <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll text Beth. Um, Anyway, Doc and Cindy were. I was really close to Doc. He was my class sponsor, so we knew him through all four years. And I spent time at his house. He was a professor at our college that actually taught some critical thinking, which was really rare. He taught me how to think. (laughs) He taught Old Testament. I mean he uh, he was one of he was one of the good guys. And um, and so we got to have lunch with them. I haven't seen him in twenty years. It was like not a day had passed, and that motherfucker has not aged, (laughs) other than his gray hair. And his wife has aged backwards. Yeah, I swear. I even said that Doc looked like her sugar daddy now. Like, I mean, he's <laughs> he's aged that much, and she's aged backwards that yeah. much. And but anyway, it was just delightful, and we're gonna make that a regular thing when we come through Knoxville. Um, so that was just that was a really and Elijah loved him. Elijah was crazy about him. So 
Um, so they, anyway, that was really cool. So that was our, that was definitely a bright spot. So nice, Mike. What do you got, buddy? Um, uh, Thanksgiving was good. It was low key. It's the least stressful Thanksgiving I've ever had. Nice. Um, so it was, it was nice. Um, got to hang out with my my brother, my niece, uh, and her boyfriend. It was good times. Uh, we got a real Christmas tree. Uh, we did too. Yeah, this is our first so. one ever. Oh, the first one ever. We've never had a real Christmas oh, tree. Man. We finally a, got a real one. It's the first one we've had since we had kids. Uh, just because it was like an event. and Yeah. So we you went guys went to, out and chopped one down, didn't you? Yeah. We, uh, we went all Chevy Chase on it. Yeah, man. It was real. <laughs> Strapped to the top of the car. Oops. Lid. Flip off some truckers. Yep. Driving great. underneath a semi. Yep. It's all a model driving a fancy red car. It was great. Um, Yeah. So it was, it was pretty low key, but it was good. Good. All right, are we going to do the music thing that we do? Yeah, man. Let's do music. Right. You got music? Oh, I've got I can find something easily, yeah. All right, go go for it. Uh, right. do we have a music? We don't have a theme song, do we? No, oh, we don't. That's all right. Who this cares? is the time where we're going to play some music. <laughs> White guys suggesting music. <laughs> yeah, it's your hipster music out. Uh, we're so cool. It's probably well, going to be some So in the last There's been a ton of stuff coming out in the last two weeks I've been a really big fan of. Um and the end of the year lists are coming out, which always is a yeah. treasure trove. I downloaded of, like seven albums last night, and about two of them were listenable. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that happened. That does happen. Um, man, I'm going to go with Beck's new one. That's good. God, I, yeah, I, really I can't like stop it. listening to this, man. It yeah. Beck constantly reinvents himself, but it's always good. I, I don't know how to... You, you can't describe Beck. Like, there's no genre for Beck. Um, Michael hates him. I just don't care about really? Beck. Really? Yeah, I... I'm, I mean, his this album, the one before it, were just I'm sure he's unbelievably fine. fun. So, um, this song's called "Saw Lightning." The album is "Hyperspace" by Beck. Maybe. Oh, there we go. Ah! Woo! Ah! 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 There was a day. He's got that. He's got that shit eating grin on his face. Me? All right. (laughs) Right about now, Funk Show Brother, check it out now. (laughs) I knew he was thinking something. What? I don't, man. Why do I even do this? There are, I don't know. <laughs> most weeks I really like Michael. There are weeks I hate him. With what are we on this time? Yeah, I think you know the answer. I don't know. That. Tell me. <laughs> he got that stupid shit in the ground <laughs> on his face. Yeah. Oh. Brad, what we got? Uh, the I downloaded this last night. This was on a Paste Magazine's Top 50 of the Year. Yeah. I'd never heard of this. Uh, Faye Webster. Yeah, this is a great album. Album is Atlanta Millionaires Club. She's classified as alternative folk, whatever that means. I guess that Ooh, makes sense. That sounds real edgy. Just, I'm listening. Just I ing- hate him. Ignore him. <laughs> just ignore him. I'm listening. Just pretend he's not here. Uh, this song is called Pigeon. Michael, shut up. I didn't say anything. 
I like that organ. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's some like steel guitar in it a yeah. little bit. I mean, there is some. It's almost like if Wilco had a female lead singer. See that being on regular rotation, yeah. Like that's too. like a, one of those <clears throat> albums. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Kind of reminds me of uh, that. Who's the the? She was alternative. She was really popular in like the late nineties. Jenny, Jenny something, Lewis. Yeah, Jenny Lewis. She's popular now. Well, in I fact, mean, I think her album was number two on the best of list. Okay, it sounded. It reminded <laughs> me of Jenny Lewis. I haven't listened to Jenny Lewis in years. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna say Jenny from Forrest Gump. No, that no, Jenny? not her. No. Yeah, we don't talk about her. <laughs> no, we don't. So Forbidden fruit. I watched it last night. Stop. Did you watch stop. it? Shut up and stop. I watched Michael, what do you have? It, yeah. Anything? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. So um, I went and saw Frozen 2. Did you let it go? I uh, yeah, I, le- so I, I never saw Frozen 1. <laughs> no. So I he's got, behind. I've, I've seen... I've, I've seen bits and pieces. I get the general premise. I've never seen Big Hero 1 through 5. Big Hero. Oh, 6. Yeah. Every time I say that joke, my kids are like, shut up, Dad. I don't think I saw 6 either. <laughs> Idiot. Um, it's like History of the World Part 2. There was no Part 1. <laughs> They'd be like, I'm like, what are you watching, Big Hero 6? Oh, I've not, I haven't seen the first five of those. 1 through 5. I, try, I tried to get out of going to see this movie, and it didn't work. But... Um, <laughs> So I I went and saw it and there it, it was it was I mean it was enjoyable I mean it was it was all right um, but it was, a, it was a pile of shit yeah I mean it's 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 a singing song maybe. yeah right uh, but there was one that I just it has the the nice nineteen eighty power ballad vibe to it and, and it it's was like a Bon Jovi song oh it's so fucking great is it supposed to or yes, is it like, yes, is, yes, okay. yes 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 so you'll hear it and you'll be like okay. All right, so let's listen to it. Again, you're gone off on a different path than mine. I'm left behind, wondering if I should follow. You had to go. And of course it's always fine I probably could catch up with you tomorrow But is this what it feels like Reminds me of somebody Peter Cetera Yeah, Peter Cetera It's very Peter Cetera It is You love me for the rest of my life 
Oh, you even had the keychain. It yeah. is Chicago, man. That is Chicago. One hundred percent. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Lost in the woods. All right. So there's that version, um, and then there's one more version they played during the credits. Oh, where'd it go? Are you playing something else? <laughs> oh, you played it. It sounds exactly yeah. like it. Yeah. man. Man, we've played a lot of. We played a lot of. Satera. We have played a lot of Satera on this album. Dude, he's just, it's just sexy music. It is. It's so. It. You tell me you don't belt this shit out in your car. You're Anybody a liar. Anybody that tells me that this comes on the radio and you don't sing it at the top of your lungs is a liar. You're a goddamn Either liar. Either a liar or yeah. just dead inside. Dogs barking. Dog barking. <laughs> uh, so here's the other version they play at the credits. See if you can tell who it is. Pierce there. No. Is it Adele Dazeem? No. Is it Richard Marks? Again, you're gone. Is this Dashboard Confessional? No. On a different path than mine. Oh, who is that? Wondering if I should follow. Man, I've heard that voice. Yeah, you've seen him live. I've seen him live? He has. Oh, is that Brendan Urie? No. No. Close. He did cut the... Oh, it's it's Rivers Cuomo. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I like his voice, man. Yeah, it's good. Weezer can make some shit music, but they... They can also make some really good music. Yeah, they can. They... <laughs> I actually like this version. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michael, that's enough. Uh, they, they, um, they did have Panic of the Disco did a different cover. And then Casey Musgraves. I apparently really like Casey Musgraves. I Who don't knows? know that yeah, person. Um, she's like a country singer don't, don't play it's i won't play it right. but but I'll, I'll use her as a different yeah this weekend uh, thing. our friend audacious pulse released oh, a single yeah. that's really i haven't heard it yet have well, you not here you no. good here you go this is uh victoria yeah victoratron vicky t's victoratron yeah, yeah. vicky and the t's in her moniker audacious pulse maybe it, if matt can get it to play well i hit play vicky there are we you go. There? her single yeah that's really loud ethereal buzzards is the single it reminds me of uh girl pool yeah it's really good yeah yeah i, I like was impressed guitar. i'm looking forward to the album like yeah me too If you play anymore, we're going to owe her money, so <laughs> everybody go download that. <laughs> yeah, Theory yeah. of Buzzers by Audacious Pulse. Yeah, the single. That's a great name for a song, too. Yep. Um, where are we? What are we doing? That's, what's, what, uh, uh, newsfeed. All right, let's go into the newsfeed. There's no reality. <laughs> I missed you guys this week. I'm not gonna, we didn't do this last week. I, I really kind of missed didn't. Yeah, you did. No, I did. Yeah, you did. The only thing that gave me solace of working a 13-hour day that day is I didn't have to come and do this after. 
Um, <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> uh, I got one. I got two, actually. Ooh. Uh, Nirmal Persia. Nirmal? Summon. Wasn't that, wait, wait. Wasn't that what? the name of uh, Garfield's girlfriend? No, that was Nirmal. <laughs> no, that wasn't his girlfriend. It was his nephew or whatever. Was it? Yes. No, Nirmal was like yes, a, the no. long neck cat. No. No. Who no, was the Nermal cat? was like the little annoying cousin. I think it was his nephew. Was or it something. a nephew? Yeah, something like I mean, that. Garfield have a nephew. All right, keep going. I'll fact check that. Are you ser- are you asking that question? It's a talking cat, and you're asking, oh, "Do you really have a nephew?" That's not believable. No, Nermal is the girl. Really? Yeah. I don't know if it's the, not the girlfriend, but it, it. I mean, it looks like it looks like Garfield. So maybe they're related. <laughs> anyway, World's cutest kitten. This guy, Nermal Persia. Summits all 14 8,000ers in record six months. 8,000ers? So Wait, in just six months and six days, Nirmal Nims Persia. Are you speaking has, English? That's his nickname, Nims. Uh, oh, Nermy Nims. Uh, has completed his challenge to summit Earth's 14 tallest mountains in six months. Well, that's impressive. The, uh, let's see, uh, Earth's 14 tallest mountains, all higher than 8,000 meters, enter, enter the death zone, which is so-called because human life cannot exist there. Ooh. This did not deter Nims, who joined a list of just 40 climbers to have completed what could be considered the ultimate mount, mountaineering goal. What so, was listening to when he was doing that? The previous record, um, let's see. Where was the previous? Shit. Where's the previous record? God damn it. It's in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> What? You asked where they went. So. The the they went from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way to Tacoma. Is it just a Tucson, <laughs> Philadelphia, Atlanta, LA. LA? Let's just name all the Northern cities we Arizona. can think of. <clears throat> uh, anyway, as well as smashing his overall goal of scaling all fourteen Shallow. in under seven months, Nims has achieved a further six world records in the process. Minneapolis, the most eight thousand mountain eight thousand meter mountain summited in the spring season. Terre Haute, <clears throat> which is Annapurna. Why is it always during my fucking stories that you guys do this shit? <laughs> Milwaukee. Did you say Milwaukee? <laughs> Come on. What's the one that's like, but is that the butte? Is that a butte? No, it's just Butte. Butte. All right. <laughs> Not so Butte. The Butte. This the guy Butte. did it in the six Butte months. Is on fire. The previous record is eight Walk years. The previous record is eight years. He did it in six months. Jeez, that is nuts. Yeah. So listen to these records he broke. The most 8,000 meter mountains summited in the spring season. There were six. In Ever, Everest being one of, one of them. Birmingham. The most 8,000 8, meter mountains summited in the summer season, which is five. K2 being, which is the second the highest mountain? mountain in the world. Yeah. The fastest summit of the three highest mountains in the world. The fastest summit of the five highest mountains in the world. The fastest summit of the lowest 8,000-meter mountains. And the fastest summit of the higher 8,000-meter mountains with consecutive summits of Everest, Lhotse, and Makalu in 48 hours. Beating Albert? his previous record by five days. Jeez, he's a fucking mountain climbing yeah, genius. He's kind like, of a machine. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he's one of those guys that science studied him. He has like... You know, they'll, they'll, yeah. I saw there's years guys ago, there have, was a guy that can just run forever. He's, he's an X Men. Yeah. They found yeah out, that's essentially what they, they are, found yeah. out scientifically that, like, his muscles don't produce lactic acid. Yeah. So, and like, he can, he can literally just run forever. He like, can do, like, marathon like, day after day yeah. after day. He can do marathons. Yeah. 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 And so I just I wonder if it's something like that, if he's got some weird, like, I wonder where, abnormality. What other, 
What other places you can use that skill? Like what? I don't know. How how else? I mean, besides running marathons, where does it to not have? Where, where does it benefit you to not to have lac- lactic acid? I don't know. Muff diving. Oh God! All right. <laughs> well, are you done? You're done. I got one more. No, he you doesn't. Don't. No, I've got a good one. He I mean, that was a good one too. But I've got a good one. So doesn't need a scuba gear. <laughs> It's 8.38. <laughs> You're, I love you wearing your shirt. Yeah, I it's am. What about, what about, <laughs> he is wearing the shirt. What about Albuquerque? You ever heard of Albuquerque? That's a fun word to say. It is. Yeah. It's a great yeah. weird owl song, too. It is. is um, it? Albuquerque. Ben's brother. Ben Burkerke. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what he's doing right now. I don't know what he's doing right now. What? So do you remember? Uh, this is one of the early stories we had. The um, the grandma who actually texted the wrong guy. Oh yeah. Okay. So years ex- years after accidentally holiday text after accidental holiday text, man still gets together with the grandma who invited him to Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving, like four years. Four years in a row. Yeah. Uh, it's been several year several. God, I can't read. Several years since the world fell in love with this twenty year old man and his grandma. And their fans can be happy to know their friendship is still going strong. Back in 2016, Jamal Hinton received a text message from Wanda Dench inviting him to her thank Judy's you. Judy's sister? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dame, Dame Wanda Judy Dench. Dench? Dame Wanda Dench. I wonder if she's a dame, too. <laughs> inviting him to her Thanksgiving dinner. The message had been intended for Dench's grandson, but upon realizing her mistake, Dench invited him to dinner anyway, saying, that's what grandmas do, feed everyone. Despite how, Dench, how Hinton lives in Phoenix, which is an hour and a half from where Dench lives in Mesa, that's like nothing. You guys drive yeah, that. Exactly. That's like a short day. I literally drove I eight hours. I know. Yeah. Uh, he did indeed stop by for dinner, and their serendipitous holiday mix-up went viral. Uh, Hinton has been to every single one of Dench's Thanksgiving dinners since. Uh, not only that, they make sure to regularly text each other and maintain contact throughout the year. In addition to meeting for dinner every few months, the two recently also went pumpkin picking with Dench's husband and Hinton's <laughs> longtime girlfriend. Uh, we're both really passionate and love talking about our story and how many people have reached out to us and told us how it affects them. Uh, I love when people tell me it restores their faith in humanity, which I get a lot. It makes me feel good some, knowing something I was a part of affected so many people in a good way. We are both very happy and grateful that we could be the centerpiece to such an amazing story and bring faith and joy in so many different people to so many different people. That's just cool, man. Yeah, that's cool. Like just a friendship just randomly, yeah. like an accidental text, yep. just turned into a friendship and dinner. And yeah, it's great. It's kind of how this podcast got started. <clears throat> yeah, sort of. Accidental friendship. <laughs> We've regretted it every day since. Uh, <laughs> oh, so I've regretted it every day since. <clears throat> uh, so it's our, our next podcast will be called Accidental Friendship. <laughs> we play Peter Cetera song. Here's the um, idea. It's, wait, wait. Here's the idea. So Accidental Friendship, and then every episode we do something like that friends should do, like should experience like sword fighting when we go to the bathroom. Um, we can do... <laughs> Brent, I've probably done that already. <laughs> Yeah, we totally we have. have. With that. <laughs> and then we talk about it. That's yeah, all right. All right. This is Shark Tank for podcast ideas. It's great. It's I got great. another one. Just kidding. I'm out. All right. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, I want nothing to do with either of you, and for that reason, I'm out. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so uh, we're all... We're all Carnivores here, yeah. Well, I guess we're omnivores. Yeah. I'm eating more vegetables, though. Me I will too. say that. <clears throat> um, I'm starting to have more of a moral problem with my meat eating. I don't know what to do with that. Probably stop. Because of the homosexuality. What? 
What the? F- what are you talking about? You talking about me eating meat? Oh my god! <laughs> what? I just want to go home. Jesus. I just want to go really home. Qu- that was really Jesus fucking quick. Christ, I got, you got to say. <clears throat> I'm like trying to make a point. Never mind. All right. No, uh, I, I see what you're saying. Would you eat meat made from air? What? Huh? A startup in Berkeley, California, is making a vegetarian meat al- analog from thin air. Just like farts? The process. Farts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's fart meat. It smells like barbecue in here. <laughs> And a bait shop. Why does it smell like a bait shop? Uh, <laughs> exclusively bait shop air. The process involves feeding carbon dioxide to microorganisms that process the carbon dioxide into protein. On its website, Air Protein. It's Michael Jordan's brother. <laughs> His lesser known brother. I, was, I had a Nike uh, joke. I couldn't get it, quite it, get it there. Inspiration the, came he from will a, sell that and have like little yeah, bottle so, shakers that you can shake yeah. it. Says its inspiration came from a 1960s NASA discovery that natural single-celled organisms called hydrogenotrophs act like plants in converting carbon dioxide into food. Um, the concrete results may seem super sci-fi, but on a particulate level, this is just electrons and stuff moving around and rechaining. Uh, the microbes are in an enclosed environment with water and temperature control they need, and carbon dioxide is pop- piped in. The microbes eat the hydrogen in the air and grow healthy and reproduce. Hmm. So, uh, if you think this sounds like... <laughs> that was probably me. No, yeah. it was me. Sorry. Uh, it says, if you think about... If you think this sounds like an Aqua Teen Hunger Force episode, you're not alone. The corn, <laughs> The corn brand got into hot water years ago for presenting an exotic fungal byproduct as, quote, mushroom-based. That was my nickname in high Which school. consumers felt was an outright <laughs> lie. What? Fungal byproduct? Yeah. So anyway, so this is um, this is one of the major obstacles faced by modern agriculture is that we must keep increasing the productivity of arable land around the world. So the more people eat meat, the more land you need for animals. Right. It's yeah, just yeah. all around not great. Yeah. And our Plus increased the pressure. Cow, the cow farts are real bad. <laughs> cow yeah, farts are bad. Yeah. So having ways to build on top of the land, like stacked vertical farms in Japan is a good start, but capturing, quote, waste to recycle into viable food is a way to reduce emissions while also reducing pressure on agriculture as a whole. So <clears throat> this is just like, it's another one of those things where like you kind of, since... <laughs> Most people in our governments lack the political will to do jack shit about climate change. Yeah, I guess these are the kinds of things that yeah. might end up saving the planet. Yeah. Um. I mean, I've had Impossible Meat and it tastes exactly like meat, so yeah. I'm yeah. on board with it. Um. <clears throat> and I'm assuming this would taste. I guess it would taste pretty good too. Um. But yeah, I, I just think that's science is really that's just that kind of stuff is fascinating to me. Um. That people have the ability to go, hey, you know what we should do. We should grow meat from air. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, and then uh, message in a bottle found. Oh, wait, I got uh, a fun fact. Mm. Um, and so uh, sure my wife spent some really fun fact. <clears throat> my wife spent some time in uh, in China, and uh, one of their their phrases that they use there is uh, "chirpy," which means eat part. So. <laughs> what was the was it James Hetfield's guitar that said "eat fuck"? Yeah. E E T F U K. It still does. Yeah. Uh, All right. Trippy.
All right. Um, my other one, a message in a bottle found in Texas River after 31 years. Hot take sucks. Here's here's a hot take. Castaway is the best Tom Hanks movie. Mm. Nope. Which one's better? Name one. Forrest Gump. Mm. He's amazing in that. Wilson. Wilson's better. That's not a movie. That's a fucking (laughs) beach ball. It's a volleyball. Castaway. They could have cut an hour off of that film, and it would have been better. So good. I loved it. I don't know, man. It. Can we just agree? He's a fucking national treasure. He's a great actor. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's his best. Hmm. Money, what, what would you? What, what's better? <laughs> I, I enjoy the money pit. That's my reason. <laughs> um, wasn't he? What was the one? That's is such that, a great Family Guy <laughs> reference. Thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, I, I like that movie. I do it's like big. I do like, like big. the movie Big Turner and Hayes. Outside, of, well, Big outside of the uh, statutory rape, <laughs> statutory rape that as I was a kid. Didn't register mm. with me at all. No. <laughs> See it now, and I'm like, oh, that's, she's fucking a 13 that's year old. Sort of problematic. Oh, I haven't I think. seen that. <clears throat> Who's got? Wait, the, you've never seen? I, I've Big? seen. I've seen it, but I haven't seen it recently to know that. There was some... He's a 13 year old that becomes big, becomes yeah. an adult, and he ends up having sex with a woman. It's like, oh, wait, like you think about it now, you're like, uh, yeah. There's a lot of movies that came out in the 80s and 90s. You're like, I don't feel like Turner and Hooch would age well. <laughs> It's a movie about a guy in a dog, Nor would man. Joe versus the volcano. Oh gosh. That was I don't uh, know. that was I Meg think, Ryan at her height. I think I do think Forrest Gump is probably his best movie. Sleepless in Seattle. No, That's it. No. That's You've Got Mail. I do I do have a soft spot spot in my heart for You've Got Mail. Why? I don't know. Fun <laughs> fact about You've Got Mail. Uh, caramel macchiato. She orders one in the movie uh, at a Starbucks. Starbucks didn't have a caramel macchiato at the time, so they made one up. Yep. So they put caramel in a cappuccino, basically. Uh, right. So uh, latte, marked it. Yeah. Can I can I read this? Yeah, yeah. I'd prefer that you read it. Uh, message in a bottle found in Texas River after 31 years. Huh? A Texas man who tossed a message in a bottle into a river in 1988 was reunited with his letter after it was re- found recently by a hunter. Wait, was he hunting in the ocean? No, dude. In a river, Michael. Uh, a river. Waylon Jones. It's a great Texas name. Said he was. <laughs> says he was hunting at Toledo Bend. Yeah. Yeah. When he found a glass bottle floating in the Sabine River, the bottle contained a note written on a paper plate. Jones posted a photo to find. Uh, photo of the find to Facebook where it came to the attention of William Hall's granddaughter, who recognized his handwriting. What? 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 Yeah, like I'd recognize Grandpa's handwriting. Seriously. Jesus. Never mind. Actually, I uh, might now yeah. that I think about it. <laughs> it's probably something about how he hates Japanese people. Well, there is that. Uh, the message said, Dear Monty, I killed a deer. I need your help. Please come up river two miles and help me clean it. Hall said he tossed the bottle into the river during a hunting trip in Panola County in the fall of 1988. He said the phone number listed in the note is his mother's old number. Being that it's been that long, it was probably stuck under a log jam for 20 to 25 years. It's Same. pretty unique for that to happen after 31 <laughs> years. I probably wouldn't have ever thought of it again. That's right. That's crazy. Yeah. I, that, that's just fun. Yeah. That's it's fun, fun stuff. Yeah. So. That's nice. All right. Nice. That's innocent news. That It is. Is it going to hurt anybody? No. Nope. It's not going to offend anybody. It has nothing to do like, with impeachment. It has nothing it's to do just, with anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
Michael, go ahead and fuck it up for us, buddy. All right. Uh, product update. Oh, there there's, it is. There's a new uh, app. It's a, it's a dating app. Uh, Greensboro man creates a dating app where he's the only guy allowed. So, um, the app is called the app is called Singularity. Um, I mean, kudos, I guess. Yep, he that's created, some Jeffrey Dahmer shit right yeah. there. Is what that is. Only that guy's to, gonna fucking kill and eat these women. It uh, only built to open on phones and not computers. Uh, what's unique about the app is he's the only one guy allowed on it. Um, no matter how many times you swipe, it's only different versions of his picture. If life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade, uh, he said. And then there are no other companies that can produce and distribute their own soft drinks. Uh, so the only game in town is lemonade. So, Okay. There's no way that guy doesn't have bodies buried under yeah. his fucking front porch. He made man. a commercial. That guy has tortured animals and he has fucking eaten a person. I'm telling you right now. Uh, there's got to be people on this app, though. No, there don't have to be. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Well, they're the kind of people that deserve to get eaten, then, if that's what they're doing. If they know it's one person that's on this app, they deserve to get eaten. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. No, that's I weird. know, I do know that that's what that's what needs to happen. So, Matt, all right, we've got an, I got an idea. Okay, this is based off of it. All your other ideas are grand. So let's have an idea off people.com. Okay. Um, so you've got a dog, right? Wait, people.com? Yeah, people. What the fuck are you doing on people.com? Don't Michael? worry about it. So you've got a dog, right? Yeah, Soylent, I have it. Soylentgreen.com. Yeah. So, so, so this person, uh, th- their dog's named Stella. Stella's a dog. Stella! Um, they, their owner is a speech-language pathologist. Okay. Um, and Oh, well, I've seen this. So they created a custom soundboard yeah. for their dog. So I now would 100% buy this if it would work. Now their dog can speak English. Matt's yeah. like, I'm not With buying it unless it shocks the shit out Man, of me. Man, fuck dog. you. <laughs> fuck you too. God. <laughs> Shock therapy. Oh, Say the right words. Your daddy will shock me. Hit the buttons right. <laughs> oh, gosh. Is that the end of the story? Oh, uh, sure. That's yeah, weird. I did see that. That's fascinating. That's so great. yeah, it's like it's like um, it's got a bunch of. Different phrases. The dog. The dog's like, I have to shit. I have to piss. I have to eat. Yeah, pretty much. Does it say what the buttons are? Yeah. Uh, well, um, there's videos and stuff, but who has time for that? I don't. I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's not gonna work for my dog. So has whatever. a bunch of different words, and, and they add different words. Jimmy's gonna train names. my dog, so it's fine. Jimmy. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jimmy. Um. So, how, speaking of, how was your Thanksgiving? 70-year-old woman and her 60-year-old mate are each jailed after felony charges after they allegedly had sex on a Florida sidewalk in view of a 12-year-old child. Hmm. Apparently, they needed investigators for this. So, according to investigators, uh, Susan... She thinks! She thinks! Oh, baby! But she moves! She moves! I go crazy! Susan Rossillo and Robert Kellogg... 
Uh, Tristan around 8.45 p.m. Thursday, which is Thanksgiving, in front of the Capitol Theater uh, in downtown Clearwater, Florida. I didn't realize this was a Florida story, so... (laughs) Florida man, Florida man. The uh, Crowder Neon Steeple remix. Uh, up his ass. No drug screen would he ever pass. Look out! Ladies and gentlemen, the host Florida man. of Drunk Church History. Yeah, go on over to Drunk Church History for more um, stuff like that. <laughs> anyway, so they're, beach, they're both each being held in county lockup uh in lieu of a $10,000 bond. Wow. Um, that seems extreme. Well, it's a lewd and uh, lascivious exhibition of allegedly Boning? engaging in sexual conduct in the presence of a minor. But well, it's, it's not their fault the kid was there. So the victim, uh, Clearwater police say, uh, saw... <laughs> That's where we used to be. Go to vacation. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Saw Rosillo uh, on her back with her legs up in the air with no pants on. Uh, the septuagenarian uh, was actively masturbating Kellogg's penis with her hand, according to the arrest affidavit. Wow. After being read the rights, Kellogg reportedly admitted to having sex in public with Rossillo, uh, adding that she did have his penis in her hand multiple times. Uh, Kellogg uh, apologized, I mean, and, and said that he knew that the Thanksgiving night encounter was, quote, Sorry, wrong. Grandpa was horny. Yep. Um, Rossillo was, ex- quote, extremely uncooperative and continued to scream that she wanted a lawyer. Um, I want my lawyer. I'm going to finish him off. And uh, both defendants showed an indication of alcohol influence. So, but <laughs> go ahead, Michael. Uh, Rosillo was convicted earlier this month. <laughs> Uh, on an open container charge <laughs> after she was spotted drinking a can of Bud Light Cranberry beer on a Clearwater street. Kellogg's rap sheet includes collars for trespassing. What's collars for trespassing? Disorderly intoxication. Uh, panhandling. Battery on a law enforcement officer. Jesus. Obstruction and carrying an open <laughs> container. Court records describe. Court records you describe Rosillo and Kellogg as homeless. So. Wait, she's fucking a homeless guy? Apparently, no, they were both homeless. I mean, technically, technically. If they are homeless, you don't have to wear that dress tonight. They were at home when it happened, right? Right. If they're homeless, they they were at home. Whatever, man. <laughs> they were homeless. They were at home. She, wow, you Jesus can't argue. The, the no. twelve-year-old that logic. The twelve-year-old was <laughs> trespassing on their home in their home. Wow. That kid. That kid will never get an erection again, ever. <laughs> like his first erection, he'll never get a first erection. Like there won't be one. Well, I mean, it's a seventy-year-old woman and a sixty-year-old male. He needs to get used to the phrase, it's not you, it's me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm surprised a six-year-old male could get an erection. 
All right. Are we done? It's 8.58. Do you want another one? No, I don't. Okay. Michael, I have to work tomorrow. Okay. So does Michael. So do I. Um, Okay. I got one more. This is in uh, you. We just said no. You (laughs) fucking deserve this. No, Michael. Michael is. If he's, this, he's the equivalent. I went through a toll road today for work. He's the, Michael is the living embodiment of somebody that just says fuck the tolls and just drives straight through the gate. Just yeah, right on through. Yeah. I don't yep. care if the arms down. The rules don't apply. This is I, this is stupid on the internet. Um, man killed by device he created to shoot anyone who entered his door. Good. Fuck him. Wow, that's what I wanted. That's all there I needed. There it is. No, <laughs> to shoot anyone that comes through his door. Jesus Christ, man! Like and it shot him. Yep. I just don't know what to say to stuff like this. He, like, just, he just fucking he's deserves stupid. it. He fucking deserves yeah, it. He's a psychopath. I mean, it's one less Trump voter in the world. That's all I can well, say. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck him, man! Like seriously, and somebody didn't listen to the interview tonight. God. <laughs> Jeez. What kind of psychopath does that shit, man? Like sixty-five-year-old Ronald Sear. Did you say Ronald? Ronald. Oh. <laughs> Ronald Sear. Four-one. It's Ronald Sear. Oh, Ronnie Sear. Yep. Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, nobody's coming to my fucking front door. They're gonna die, <laughs> including is, me. Boy, that is. Uh, that's. Wow. Who does that shit? Psychopaths do that I shit. I mean, you think so of the... the you no, think of that's, the, that's you, a guy that fucking kills and eats people. Fucking get him off the planet. No. He was hit Like, after, if you're doing that shit, fuck you. Unintentional well, discharge of one of his homemade... High school. <laughs> of one of his... High school. Homemade devices. So there were multiple devices that he had. Yeah, it was like that one... We had a story at one point. A guy that had his entire house booby-trapped. Like, and there was like... the. FBI couldn't, or whoever it was, couldn't even find all the booby traps. Do you remember that story? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like this guy. I mean, ugh. that's just psychopath shit, man. Yeah, it is. All right, the ready to go. Off further up, further in. Wow. <laughs> Matt's really on one tonight. <laughs> that's why I wanted to do the story. Jonathan Wilson, Hargrove. <laughs> Is a good human being. Yes, unlike Matt, is a is a good person. He's the fourth member of Wilson Phillips. No, he fucking isn't. <laughs> what? Michael. God damn it! Uh, all right. Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove is a celebrated spiritual writer, a native of North Carolina. Uh, he is a graduate of Eastern University and Duke Divinity School. In not 2000, exactly a lightweight. No, no. not exactly. Uh, in 2003, Jonathan and his wife, Lee, or Leah, I'm not sure how she pronounces it, uh, founded the Rutba House, a house of hospitality where the formerly homeless share uh, community with the formerly housed. Um, Jonathan directs the school uh, for conversion, a popular education center where works uh, that, that works to make surprising friendships possible. He's also an associate minister at the historically black St. John's Missionary Baptist Church. He is uh, the co-compiler of the um, Common Prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals. Fucking love that book. I have the app as well. It's really good. Um, And he is the author of several books uh, on Christian spirituality, including Reconstructing the Gospel, uh, Strangers at My Door, The Awakening of Hope, 
um, the wisdom of stability, uh, the new monasticism. He is a co-author with Reverend Dr. William Barber II, uh, of also the, not a lightweight, not a lightweight, not, not exactly lightweight. Yeah, he's uh, awesome. The uh, the third reconstruction, Moral Mondays, fusion politics, and the rise of the new justice movement. Uh, as an evangelical Christian who connects with broad spiritual tradition and its uh, monastic witnesses, Jonathan is a leader of the Red Letter. Christian movement and the Poor People's Campaign, a nation call of, for moral for moral revival. Uh, he speaks often with uh, are, are about emerging Christianity and faith and public. Um, yeah, he he's got all kinds of stuff. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, he talks about uh, he's got conferences across the uh, denomination spectrum and has given lectures at dozens of universities and seminaries, including Calvin College, MIT, Bethel, Duke, Yale, Princeton. One of these is not like the other. Um, <laughs> Jewish Theological, Perkins, Wake Forest, St. John's, DePaul, and Wheeler. <laughs> Like so, man, like name name a list of heavyweight colleges. Yeah, right. Those are on that list. <clears throat> Just take Bethel out. Um, <laughs> the um, so so the book is called Revolution of Values: Reclaiming Public Faith for the Common Good. Can we talk about the cover for a second? I didn't yeah. mention this. It's a cover that, like, when I look, when you look at it, you're like, I would never read that book unless I was a super conservative, right? Because well, it has like, yeah. except for the fists, it has an Amer- well, but it has an American mm. flag ish sort of, with a with a, a raised fist and a cross on. I mean, it it's one of those. It's almost like a conservative looking book, and I almost wonder if that's intentional, to get to get some of those Maybe. people to get those people to read this fucking book and realize what they've been duped into. I just thought that was interesting. <clears throat> it's yeah. a good book. Yeah, get it. Buy it. Yeah, buy I agree. It. It, buy, it. buy it. It's full of uh, good, like good history of. How we got here? That dude knows his <laughs> shit, man. Yeah, like the, for it, real. It, how we got to where we are, like with Trump and the religious right, and it like we made a huge mistake. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yep. All right. Without further ado, here is our conversation with Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. Take two. Further up, further up, further up, further up. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We have Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. Are you with us this evening? Good to be with you. All right. Now, uh, just let's just start off real quick. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Who is Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove? Well, I um, am from North Carolina. I uh, grew up out in tobacco country here in North Carolina. And um, uh, I'm from a Southern Baptist church background. I grew up in the 80s when uh, my people were told that to be good Christians, you had to be a Republican. (laughs) And so um, I wanted to do everything I could for Jesus. So I tried to become president of the United States. And uh, in the course of doing that, I became a a young foot soldier in the religious right and the culture wars and all the uh, efforts at that time to recruit uh, white Christians for conservative politics. 
and I uh, kind of hit a dead end um, as an early adult and was looking for uh, another way to be Christian in public. And so I, um, I met uh, the, the, the fusion movement in the South and uh, learned another way of being Christian. So I've spent my life uh, between two worlds, and in many ways, this book is about trying to uh, speak out of that experience to the moment that we're living in. Yeah, and the book is rev- called Revolution of Values, Reclaiming Public Faith for the Common Good. Um, so what what was sort of the the genesis of this book? Like, what like what was it where at what point in your in did this take root in your mind and you started thinking that this was it started to sort of form itself into a into a coherent book yeah yeah well i published a book in um early 2018 that i had written mostly since um the trump presidency began and i wrote that book uh to go back and look at how uh, slaveholder religion from the 19th century had impacted uh, Christianity in America. And when I was talking to folks about that book, um, a lot of people said, wow, um, I didn't realize that what happened way back then had that much impact on us now. And, you know, that was a long history of 400 years. And uh, as I listened to the kinds of conversations people are having, um, a lot of people in churches are asking uh, how in the world did we get here and uh, i wanted to tell the particular story of what's happened over the last 40 years uh, with the so-called religious right and i wanted to tell it in a way that both answered that question you know what what happened uh, but also gives people hope that there's uh, another way of being christian and the best way i know to do that is to um, uh, talk about how you can read the Bible with people um, who are working for justice and the common good in in, in our public life. And so um, this book tries to do both. Yeah. And one of the things I found really interesting about it was how much history is written in the book. I actually really appreciated that. I learned quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're sort of not sort of we're especially OK. We grew up. I mean, honestly, growing up in North Carolina and growing up in southern indiana like us there's not a ton of difference <laughs> honestly yeah, your, outside your, of, your story rings true we we grow corn you grow tobacco and that's about the biggest yeah. difference um and we all play basketball yeah and yeah. all play basketball is exactly right uh, and but i you know so we got a a very um literally whitewashed version of history uh, mm-hmm. You know, your book deals so much with um, racial inequality, gender inequality, economic inequality. Uh, all of those things, we got a specific narrative um, told to yeah. us. I remember, you know, growing up also thinking that Ronald Reagan was the best president in history, only to find out much later that uh, he's directly responsible for just most of the economic inequality we see today. Um, but, you know, there was so much there's so much. um history in this book. And one of the things I found really interesting, I'd like you to talk about a little bit is that I, I wasn't, I I guess I was sort of aware of it in one sense, but it never, maybe in the back of my mind, but never, you put it so well about the influence of corporations to keep Mm -hmm. sort of poor whites and poor black folks and brown folks from forming an alliance. Can you talk about that? 
Well, the history of that goes back to the plantation economy. It's a it's a pattern that developed, um, and um, you, you know, uh, people um, have tried over the years to uh, organize uh, black and white workers in the South to challenge the uh, system that was built on the stolen land and labor, you know, from native and black folks, but also on the, um, uh, you know, undercompensated labor of poor white sharecroppers. And um, there's a there's a long history of, of, of trying to divide people and of using faith to do it. So one of the things I do in this book is tell the early 20th century uh, history of how after the Great Depression, there was a a widespread uh, populist sense that the corporations couldn't be trusted. And um, a group of corporations got together. Uh, the National Association of Manufacturers uh, had a meeting in New York City and um, uh, invited a preacher to come and pitch an idea to them about how um, he could uh, be a spokesperson for capitalism uh, to help people believe in business and um he made the pitch and, and they gave him the money and uh, James Fifield was his name. And he built a network of uh, Christian ministers who used the pulpit to bolster um, Christianity and capitalism as, uh, you know, two, two things that were not in conflict with each other. When, as a matter of fact, that was an intentional pushback against the social gospel that was saying that the extreme inequality that had emerged from, um, you know, the, the industrial era uh, had created a, a, a situation uh, where uh, the gospel compelled Christians to work for justice and to work for labor rights and to, you know, uh, make sure that children weren't losing their fingers in factories and um, uh, what, what we usually call the social gospel now. I mean, that that's the movement that created the whole what would Jesus do slogan. I mean, before it was on a you know rubber bracelet that people handed out as a little evangelistic tool, it was really a, a question of uh, how would Jesus respond to uh, extreme inequality and poverty in um, our public life. And uh, uh, there was a power to that. I mean, that, that gave us social security that gave us the weekend. That gave us, you know, the 40-hour work week. And um, there was an intentional effort against that. And I thought that background is important because if you understand that pattern from, you know, the 19th century into the 20th century, then you can begin to see how the backlash against the civil and women's rights movements of the 1960s and early 70s, uh, the backlash against that is what we call now the religious right, uh, what they called in the very beginning a moral majority. Um, and the people who organized that were very intentionally trying to organize the white voters who had been motivated and even uh, called upon to vote uh, based on race before to uh, organize after in the post-civil rights era um, around religious values. And so um, the South and the suburbs and the Sun Belt could be united to hold on to the same power that the segregationists had wanted to hold on to, um, but in the name of biblical values and a pro-family, pro-life agenda. So that's the history that um, that the book sketches and, and does it uh, sort of issue by issue so yeah. we can understand how we learn to misread the Bible uh, in order for these corp this corporate agenda to be advanced uh, and, and Christians do not oppose it. 
Um, but then also how other people read it differently. And um, so I think the history is important, but I also wanted to do the journalism, you know, that tells the real stories of people who've been impacted by this, because yeah. I think when we read the Bible alongside those folks, um, uh, it's a very different book. And, and to me, it comes to life. I mean, it uh, it makes the story really sing, because as a matter of fact, the story was written by mostly poor and marginalized yeah. people who were trying to give hope to poor and marginalized people. So when you begin to read it with those people, man, this is a book that makes sense. Yeah. I, I know years ago when that clicked with me was when my life really started to change in a similar fashion of yours, uh, you know, going, you know, growing up with a very Republican view and every in the, the moral majority and all that. <clears throat> when I realized that, Oh wait, the Bible was written by people that were under the boot of various empires. It was like, Oh, wait a second. And honestly, I know you've done some stuff with Shane Claiborne um, and his book, uh, irresistible revolution was just huge for all three mm -hmm. of us. I think in that regard where it, we, it really started to make us question like the narrative that we grew up with of, Oh, this yeah. isn't, <laughs> this doesn't, this doesn't seem to add up with what Jesus was actually saying. Um, yeah, but uh, I guess a, a question I have is, where is the hope? You know, you you mm -hmm. look at you look at. I think it's so easy, and especially for somebody like myself, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you hear Michael laughing. Um, it, it's easy for me to just despair. Um, you yeah. look at you look at things like racial and economic inequality that are are literally just sort of baked into the DNA of the United States. I mean, it kind of is who we are in, in, I mean, when you've got the constitution saying that, you know, black people are what a uh, three fifths three of fifths. a person, like, I mean, it's literally baked into the fabric of this country. So with those problems are so ingrained and so systemic that I know to me, sometimes the problem just seems like it's beyond fixing. So like in your mind, yeah. where, I mean, where's the hope? Well, the hope is in the God who raised Israel out of Egypt and raised Jesus from the dead. Um, but I think that hope is real throughout American history, too. You know, um, uh, the abolitionists who were moved deeply by their faith, um, who knew that God created all people equal and that you couldn't, uh, you couldn't claim to own another person. They knew that that was contrary to the Bible, but they also knew that, you know, a slaveholder religion had uh, taught people to read the Bible in a way that uh, just made slavery normal. And um, those folks were a minority. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the guns. They certainly didn't have the organizational power that the um, people who had normalized slavery did. But they kept on pushing and kept on building power, and they kept building it across lines of division. It was black and white folks working together. It was, you know, northern folks and southern folks who defected, who joined the abolitionists, like the Grimke sisters. So I take heart from the way that movements like that have changed this country. Um, the social gospel movement that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. it, it changed some things. And um, some of those things are, are, aren't, we're not going to go back, you know. They called... Social Security, socialism. Yeah. They said it was un-American. <laughs> they said we could never afford it. But let me tell you what: after people got their Social Security, <laughs> you can't. I mean, a Republican can't run on 
taking away Social Security. Now they might try to they might try to finagle a way to defund it, but they sure can't run 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 saying that. So so I think fusion movements that have been deeply rooted in faith and have and have uh, called uh, people together around moral issues. Those are actually the only movements that have ever changed this country for the good. Now, we've got a long ways to go, and we do still have a lot of uh, inequality baked into um, the systems that we've inherited. But as I read our history, um, this is this is what has moved us forward. So so I'm committed to fusion organizing that's faith-rooted and that calls upon uh, church folks to, uh, to trust God and to trust God uh, above these systems that say it can't work any other way. So we've we've all had this, Brad and Michael, and I've had this discussion several times, I think, that we sort of have carry on the idea, and we sort of maintain the idea that, that we're basically a generation away from probably what's radical social change. Do you, um, do you think at this point we have to sort of wait until the demographics can no longer be manipulated to the advantage of conservatives before, like, real, actual you know, massive progress gets made in this country. You know, let me back this up just real quick too. We talked to Richard Rohr on the podcast and he mentioned like that he, he believes that for some of the major social changes to happen, that his generation basically has to die. <laughs> so I just kind of would like to get your thoughts on that. Well, there are real demographic realities in terms of um, change that is coming. And I think it's important to realize that the extremism that we're witnessing right now is in many ways a reaction against right. that change. Yeah. Uh, so in some ways, um, things look so bad now because the change is so imminent. Um, I, I have a whole chapter in the book on voter suppression. Yeah. And um, I think if you understand the way voter suppression has worked uh, over the last decade in this country, you understand both the fear of people who have power and see the demographics moving against them, and you understand the real potential and power of black and brown folks who unite with white folks uh, who want to see change and build a fusion coalition that re that really can uh, transform the um, it, it's not just about you know flipping some seats or, or or changing parties that are in control. It really is about transforming yeah. the conversation that we're able to have yeah. about what's possible in public life. And and frankly, you know that's the goal of the Four People's Campaign that I'm part of. And um, when we step back and 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 look at the conversations that are happening in public life, we can see that there has been real change. I mean, I was working with the Dreamers. Uh, back in uh, you know 2009 when they were trying to get the Dream Act through Congress, and if you think about what we were tr just trying to push for with a Democrat in office then versus uh, what everybody who's running for president uh, against Donald Trump is talking about now, it's a world of difference in terms of immigration <laughs> policy. Yeah. I and mean, I think I, I think we're going to have real change uh, on lots of issues where the the the, the conversation has shifted to. What is our moral obligation to, you know, people who've come here and worked for decades? What's our moral obligation to the earth, you know, that is uh, uh, facing uh, a real crisis in terms of climate change? Um, what is our obligation in terms of care for the poor and an economy that really, uh, you know, um, provides enough for workers that they're able to, to you know, uh, earn a living from their jobs uh, that, that 
how do we provide health care to everyone? I mean, that's a moral issue. And um, I think whatever plan moves forward um, in the next administration, uh, we're going to see uh, a real effort to figure out how we can have health care for every person in the United States. And I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. Uh, So you spend a you spend a lot of time. Uh, obviously in the book talking about Christian nationalism. And I, I, I actually really appreciate that you call that what it is. Um, I think a lot of times people tend to tiptoe around that uh, using that terminology, but it's exactly what it is, Christian nationalism. And I, I want to ask this question. I, I have a feeling I know how you're going to answer it, but I, I want to ask it because I, I really, I really waffle on, on exactly how I feel about this, but do you think that the that the there is sincere belief behind so much of the Christian nationalism we see, or is it more that they're just merely sort of masking their hatred in biblical language? Well, I think a lot of people really believe it, but they believe it because it's the story they've been told, uh, you know, now for a couple of generations. So, um, an important myth that was intentionally crafted to uh, build a cultural movement around, you know, family values, biblical values, was this myth that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, and that, uh, you know, to the extent that we move away from that history and, uh, you know, try to uh, have a democracy that genuinely shares power with people who aren't Christian, whether they're Muslim or, you know, uh, secular agnostic or whatever that, that that we're somehow losing America. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a story that was crafted, and um, uh, I talk about David Barton in the book, who's probably the the the, the single most uh, adamant uh, uh, proclaimer of that story. Uh, but many many people have contributed to that, and um, I think it's a big part of the cultural work that has been done in uh, b- because what. Republican operatives were figuring out in the late 70s is that um, in order to keep uh, many white folk, as many white folks as possible in their camp, uh, what they needed to do was convince them that it was that it was unchristian to not be in the camp. And uh, they did that by embracing this myth um, and teaching it to people, not simply through uh, partisan efforts, but through. Christian TV, through homeschooling curriculum, through um, all sorts of avenues, many of which were actually coordinated through something called the Council for National Policy, that the same man who uh, invited Jerry Falwell to start a moral majority also set up in the late 70s, and that uh, has been a kind of clearinghouse for the hundreds of millions of dollars that have been invested in this. Uh, and Ann Nelson, who's a, a investigative journalist at Columbia University has uh, recently published a book called Shadow Network that tells that whole story. And I think it's just an incredibly important history for people to understand um, because I, you know, I have to say as somebody who's kind of on the receiving end of this, I believed a lot of this stuff uh, growing up. And, um, and frankly, I don't blame people who believe it because every source of authority in their lives was telling them it was true. Uh, What I really blame is the people who were intentionally doing this to use the community that raised me and many of the communities, you know, uh, where, where people I love live. And so I am writing and trying to teach this history because, um, because I believe, you know, my people have been used and it's not only hurting other folks in the name of our faith, frankly, it's hurting a lot of us. You know, there, there are a lot of people I know who are, 
not not making enough to get by. Uh, white folks, poor white folks, poor Christians. Uh, a lot of churches I've been in where you know people have funerals and uh, the pastors don't tell the truth because they say the Lord called somebody home when, as a matter of fact, you know they they just died because they didn't have enough money yeah. to get the kind of help that they needed. Yeah. Man, that's <laughs> you're, you're speaking a lot of our experience. Yeah. Um, speaking of Christian nationalism, just to kind of keep on that topic. You, one of the quotes that I really love from the book, you said Christian nationalism is a heresy not only because it makes people mean to neighbors we're called to love, but also because it reinforces a nativism that lies about who we are. Can you, mm-hmm. can you, I'd like you to expand on that for our listeners a little bit. That's just such a great quote to me. Well, you know, I've, I've learned so much from people who've been called illegal in this country. Hmm. Uh, I remember uh, Marco who, the, uh, the early dreamers called him their chaplain. Um, he was one of them, but he, he was a person of deep faith. And um, I remember him teaching Romans and saying, you know, uh, uh, Paul taught the early church that they weren't justified according to the law, but according to faith. You <laughs> 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 teach that to a bunch of young people who've been... Uh, who've been told that they're illegal according to the law. And you begin to kind of you know, see the light come on in their eyes and <laughs> understand like this is a, this is a liberative message for people who've been called illegal. And um, so I think, you know, that's where the gospel hits home for someone who's been on that side, but on the side of, uh, of the people who are told you are legal and other people are not, you see that also keeps people from understanding grace because a law that condemns other people, but doesn't, you know, doesn't in any way uh, demonstrate to you your need for grace, you know, your need for God. Right. That creates a kind of self-righteousness that um, that's very, very closely akin to the, you know, religious people that Jesus was most critical of in the gospel. You know, the folks who, who used their religion to prop up their own righteousness while condemning other people. Mm. So Jesus said it for folk like that to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Yep. And I want everybody I want everybody to get in. So if your whiteness or your biblical values or your, you know, self-righteous uh, condemnation of poor people is keeping you from receiving the good news of Jesus, then I, I want you to be free from that. So the book So, so go go ahead, sorry. So, no, it's, it's oh, it's an, an echo. It's an echo my end. Okay, sorry. Um so I mean the book's called Revolution Values. So you talk about the use the term revolution and Obviously, in the book, you're arguing that what we need is a different kind of revolution. But I know there's <laughs> there's a lot of people, particularly on the left, who I think feel that the only hope is for a violent revolution, like the French Revolution. I mean, is there ever a place for any kind of violence to affect political change? Well, if you look at the history of the world, um, political change has often happened uh, in violent revolution, uh, including the overthrow of slavery and the slave system in this country. Um, I think the great hope of gospel nonviolence is that, and, and, you know, this is not, um, this is not some sort of soft idealism. Uh, Gandhi said that nonviolence in, in his language, satyagraha is truth force. It's something actually more powerful mm than the weapons of war. 
and you must uh, practice it militantly, he said. He said, what we need is militant movements of nonviolent soldiers who are willing to say uh, that what is happening that is hurting people is so intolerable that we are all willing to put ourselves on the line to insist that the system change. And Gandhi knew that that kind of force makes it possible for you to both uh, fight the injustice and acknowledge the humanity of those who are defending the systems that are perpetuating the injustice. I think that's what we need in this country and in our world right now. We need nonviolent soldiers who are willing to put themselves on the line, who are willing to make sacrifices in order to um, insist that systems that are crushing people, that are stealing land, that are putting kids in cages, that are uh, you know, destroying the earth, that those systems cannot continue. Um, the systems only operate because we allow them to. And if enough of us refuse to cooperate with them, uh, nonviolence says, uh, they can't go on. And at that point, you can have a conversation about how the world could be arranged differently. Uh, so, um, there was a phrase that you used in the book that I'd never heard before that really hit hard. It was, you were talking about mass incarceration. Uh, you got a, a chapter about mass incarceration. Um, you use the phrase criminal caste system. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, um, a great author, Michelle Alexander has taught us about how, a new Jim Crow uh, emerged yeah. after the end of the civil rights movement uh, as a way to control black and brown and poor bodies. Um, it's a, uh, and, I, and I understand uh, what she's saying to, to, to mean that, you know, people who were controlled as labor uh, during slavery uh, continue to be controlled and used uh, for their labor um, during the Jim Crow era, and since the Jim Crow era, um, have largely been uh, used and controlled for their um, uh, for their bodies as um, uh, sort of you know um, economic units in a uh, prison industrial complex that, um, that 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 of course uses government money. Uh, to benefit uh, corporations um, and to control communities through uh, surveillance and extreme prosecution. Uh, so I think the criminal caste system is what has emerged from that, what, what we call a system of mass incarceration, um, a system that has disproportionately caged black and brown people and has disproportionately enforced laws in those neighborhoods, uh, particularly drug laws in the 80s and 90s. Um, that uh, that created a situation where you know over two million people were incarcerated in this country, um, uh, but also rotating in and out, uh, such that there are about 70 million people in this country who have a criminal conviction on their record. And uh, what our legal system says is that um, there's equal protection under the law for 
um, anyone based on their gender, based on their race, based on their sexuality. But if they have a criminal conviction, it's perfectly legal to discriminate against them. So the criminal caste system is the system that has put about a fifth of this country uh, in a category in which they can be legally discriminated against. They can be denied housing. They can be denied jobs. They can be denied uh, access to education because they have this criminal record. Yeah, I, uh, I was really, that chapter especially, I was really shocked by some of that. <clears throat> I, I would honestly, I, I would say I was largely ignorant <laughs> to my own detriment about, I mean, I know mass incarceration exists. I know it's sort of yeah. disproportionately, you know, black and brown people that get incarcerated. But like I, some of the stuff, like you were saying, like the, um, uh, you know, like how that caste system about how they basically have rigged it so that if you have a criminal conviction, you are no longer equal. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, mm. I, I mean, there was so much in this book that but, as I was reading it, I'll I was just, what, oh, go ahead, sir. I'll just, I'll, I'll have to say, you know, cause I know y'all are in Indiana, uh, lots of rural North Carolina is like this too. This system, um, is, is now, becoming much more evident to poor white communities with the opioid yep, epidemic yep. because uh, the drug laws are such that um, if you get caught up in that kind of addiction, uh, you can easily land in a, a place where um, whiteness doesn't save you from that caste system. Yep. So there's a lot of there are a lot of poor white folks who are caught up in that whole uh, system, too. Yeah, it's definitely a part of our community. For yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, you just kind of described our our community to a T. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I there was so much in this book that as I was reading it, I was just like, like man, I, I, it was just uh, this almost this sense of like, how in the world have we gotten away with this as <laughs> as a country? Like some of it was just so head scratching that we've let it. I mean, I guess if we not let it, we've intentionally engineered our justice system, our economic system and all this stuff to benefit a certain group of people. And that's it. Mm. And it was just, I mean, yeah. there's, like I said, it's almost, um, not in a bad way, but overwhelming in the book, but just how, like, because of all the history you go through about how we've gotten to where we are. Um, you know, you draw a very clear line between, you know, early 20th century to Donald Trump. I mean, it, it is a, connected thread um you know it's it's not like he just appeared in a vacuum um i mean i said months before the election no, that's like, right he didn't create any of this uh, yeah. but this, this made it possible for someone like him yes, to be president absolutely yeah. I, I mean it just i mean i said when he won the nomination i was talking i remember i was think i was talking to one of these guys and i was like evangelicals are going to fall in line man and and Maybe it wasn't one of them, but whoever I was like, no, I, there's no way. I said, just wait. Like it's been it was so, probably it was probably me. it's been so conditioned for forty years or more uh, that you have to vote this way. That this is the culmination of it. You get a person that forget immoral. I think he's amoral. Like mm. I don't know that he that he even has a sense of right and wrong outside of just whatever he wants to do that day, and. He what makes him truly terrifying to me is not his immorality; it's his amorality. And so, but you know, we sit we sit being out of that out of that realm for so long, out of the religious right. We sort of tore that down, you know, ten fifteen years ago. But we sit and scratch our heads because the 
we see, you know, we were raised, you know, we see our, our home churches largely vote for this guy when we were told <laughs> about family values were the highest thing were and you shouldn't get below jobs in the Oval Office. Well, exactly. I mean, we were raised. We hated Bill Clinton yeah. because of his sexual indiscretions. And then they go the, and then the same people that hated that went and vote for a guy who is just I mean, it's just gross beyond like, beyond a deviant. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we've we've set in just sort of we saw it. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise any of us. But at the same time, it's like I don't feel like we've left the church. I feel like the church has largely left us. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I really encourage folks, certainly Christians, to uh, see in what's so obviously offensive not you know an enemy to tear down as much as a mirror to reflect uh what we have allowed Mm. and what we've become and i think that creates the opportunity for real repentance um i don't want to minimize anything i i think we have to look directly at um the terror that has been created um we the, the the reason this was possible and allowed so long is that um, one, we were distanced from the direct impact. Um, you know, the, the, those of us who um, could, you know, imagine that uh, we were somehow separate from those people who were being demonized yeah. by these narratives. Um, we, we were separate from that. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that um, we, we have to look it in the face, and we have to, in that place, reclaim a faith that says, you know, we trust the God who can make a way out of no way, right? We trust the God who can bring Daniel and his friends out of the fiery furnace. Um, there is no uh, terror that is greater than our God but in some ways, we can't truly trust this God until we face the fact that um, we've been worshiping something else. We've been worshiping a, a, a you know, a, a, a really silly false image of God that used the language of Scripture and the, you know, symbols of Christianity, but was really about promoting white power and corporate greed and male dominance. And um, we've got to repent of that. Yeah. I'm going to that kind of leads into this question of the the three of us are I mean I would say most of our listeners I would say would be classified as progressive. Um I think the three of us are and some of our listeners are starting to see some of the sort of um I don't know blind spots of the right issue um maybe pitfalls that progressives can fall into but in your mind what are some of the pitfalls you see for progressives? when it comes to trying to change the narrative and change minds on these issues? Well, progressives um, too easily believe that um, if you get right on, you know, some uh, policy positions, that that uh, changes everything. And... uh, that the problem is with other people and not with us. Um, I think that means that progressives run away from the real issues um, 
of poverty often uh, and of um, uh, the way that uh, pe- people get pitted against one another. And uh, there's a kind of purism that can uh, keep people from actually building coalitions together because, you know, nobody's good enough to have everything as right as you. And uh, I think fusion organizing really has to be about um, uh, acknowledging that everybody is shaped by these stories, that, you know, it, it's just true that um, uh, people are going to offend one another when you get them together. Uh, but we have to have some confidence that grace is big enough to make it possible for us to, you know, stumble through that together and to build a culture and and to build organizations where we um, want to be together. I mean, I think that's that's the big challenge of of building a movement. Um, the religious right has been successful in building a culture that has normalized this extremism for a minority of people in this country. Um, but that minority is able to control power in a lot of places because there's not a, a culture and uh, a s- network of organizations that people have wanted to be part of to be together and to you know build up a new world together. And that's the work of movement building. So I, I think that's what we're called to be. Yeah, we're all over here and we're like like <laughs> raising our fists in the air in solidarity. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there's there's uh, one thing that I notice is that especially from the people coming out of like a, a more conservative background is that is that the fundamentalism hasn't changed. There's a, there's a purity of thought, and you touched on that. There's a there, my way of thinking is the only way, and therefore all other ways of thinking are the, are, are are ultimately wrong. Um, and I think what we see from some of the the um, the people who were raised in that uh, in that environment is is a swing from um, uh, more progressive thought, but more th- they still have the same fundamentalist uh, tactics, if you will. Yeah, I think that's real, and uh, and I think we've got to work with those people too. You yeah. know, so we 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 need to find uh, ways to help people. I think be together and do things together. I really believe that, um, you know, eating together, worshiping together, working together, um, um, those things can give us the opportunity to recognize one another's humanity. And um, I find that's much more fruitful than arguing with each other. Yeah. And, and, you're a person who has centered your life around community, around face-to-face, you know, those meals, those, uh, you are face-to-face with the, with, with, with people that, that you disagree with people that you agree with. What, um, what do you see in, ter- in terms of how things have changed in the last, you know, 15 years with, um, the, uh, with the internet specifically as to um, I, I see those, those opportunities to come face to face getting smaller and smaller. Could you speak about kind of um, the intentionality behind what you do regarding uh, community? Well, there's a lot of great community building that's happening. Um, and it's sometimes facilitated by 
social media or online platforms or these sort of things. But I do think there's a real um, there's a real way that online culture and the way that it seems to connect people who agree on things but aren't in the same place uh, is diminishing uh, people's willingness or time, or I, I don't know exactly what the combination is, but it, it, it's diminishing, in fact, the uh, amount of time that people spend with the actual bodies that surround them. Um, yeah. You know, their neighbors in their neighborhood, their, you know, parish, uh, if, if, you know, if they're going to church. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think that is a real challenge. We have to, and, and I think, you know, um, a lot of the lament of this is that uh, people aren't gathering in the ways that they used to. Um, and I don't know that we'll necessarily get back to people gathering in the ways they used to. That's not, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to idealize, you know, some mid 20th century form of church. Uh, I just want to be with people in community and think about how we can build communities and build churches and build movements that do give people a place. Because I think what is very real in this moment is that there are a lot of people, actually most people, feel very unsettled about what they see happening in the world. And that feeling is true and an important feeling. But if you can't move from that feeling to gathering with other people uh, who also have that feeling and imagining other ways of being together, then I think we uh, easily become... Uh, subject to uh, the folks who own the media companies and own the airwaves and own the um, levers of power, uh, most of which are corporate right now. Yeah. So you've touched on some of this as we've been talking, but in your mind, where can we start to affect change? Um, I mean, obviously what we're, What's what you're advocating for in the book and what you're trying to do is obviously a very, very large uphill climb. So where do we start? Besides ordering, start... besides reading your book, all our readers <laughs> need to go buy that. Buy the book yeah. and then. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, I wrote the book because I, I do think conversations can lead to community. And so whether you do it with this book or in another way, having conversations with the people around you about what they really value, what they really believe, and how they can flesh that out together in public life, I think that's the conversation we need to be having right now. Uh, When we have those conversations, I think we can join with other people who are doing that work locally. and, you know, a lot of people are diving into political campaigns, and I'm not against that. I, I mean, I do think we need uh, different people in office, but it's got to be about more than just, uh, you know, one election, one campaign. Yeah. Um, I think it has to be about building a culture where uh, different values are are centered and celebrated and lifted up over time. Uh, and I see that happening. I see it. Uh, that That's what the Poor People's Campaign is trying to do. Yeah. And, and often what we're doing is simply bringing people together in communities who've already been doing this work on one particular issue or another uh, and helping people see how those issues are interconnected. You know, the folks who are working 
And there are many people working very diligently, you know, to try to uh, address the climate crisis. Um, those folks really need to be working closely and 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 understanding that they, um, especially politically, have a lot in common with the folks who are working uh, for a living wage and yeah. the you know the fight for fifteen and the movements that are that, that are doing that because the very same political forces that resist a living wage have also denied climate science. And you can go on and on like that across issues. So so I, I think that building those spaces where people can come together and where people can connect that to their faith, I think it's incredibly important. You know, the revivals that have happened in this country's history are revivals that happened when there was a deep hunger, a deep longing in people. I think we have that right now. Um, but also when there became places where people could gather and could uh, express that together and then out of that build new institutions. And I think we're ripe for that kind of revival right now. Yeah. Obviously we want people to buy your book um, and, and read it, but I also would like to ask you like, what are, let's say three books that deal with the topics that you're writing about that were very informative for you. What are, what are three books that we could direct our listeners to pick up and read as well on top of yours? Well, I think, um, the work that Ibram Kendi is doing on anti-racism right now is incredibly important. Um, of course, his National Book Award book was called um, Stamp from the Beginning. He has a new book out called How to Be an Anti-Racist. I think this is incredibly important, especially for white people, in terms of understanding uh, how racism is always systemic and that we we can only change these so-called racist ideas by changing the systems. Um I mentioned Ann Nelson's work. I think it's really important in terms of understanding the, the the history that we've been talking about here. Her book is called Shadow Network, and um, it's focused particularly on the way that the Christian community was used um, in this mobilizing. But, you know, another book that uh, also almost uh, won the National Book Award a few years ago, and I was actually just um, here in Durham talking in her class today, Nancy McLean has a book called Democracy in Chains that I think is really important in terms of understanding the uh, broader forces at work, uh, economic and political forces at work in the whole movement of neoliberalism in the latter 20th century. So, yeah, Democracy in Chains, Shadow Network, and How to Be an Anti-Racist. That's my three for right now. Fantastic. Thank you. That's great. Nice. Do you have time for a lightning round questions? Oh, what are those? Oh, it's just it's just real goofy, silly questions, just as quickly as you can answer them. All right, how many? Uh, it was as many as you want. <laughs> you, you can you can say pass. You can say uh, let me out of here. Whatever you want. Let's do five. Ready, uh, set, go. All right. What is your beverage of choice? Water. What goes on a hot dog? Mustard and uh, onions and uh, slaw. Ooh. Oh, oh, you oh, are slaw. from North Carolina, aren't you? Coleslaw. Coleslaw, Carolina dog. Yeah, man. Next. Uh, what's your favorite movie you've seen in the last year? doesn't have to have come out oh, in the man. last year. You just have to have watched it in the last year. I just want to see... Um, uh, won't you be my neighbor? And I haven't haven't hadn't had a chance Ooh, to yet. Okay, so yeah. that's all I've been thinking about. Got to make it happen. 
Um, what is the last album you listened to start to finish? Start to finish. Uh, Johnny Cash, uh, the one he recorded in his living room oh, at the end of his life yeah. with Rick Rubin. I forget yep. the name of it. I think yep. it's just called Cash. Yeah. Um, do you believe in the multiverse? <laughs> Say that again. I didn't understand it. <laughs> Neither do I. Uh, do you believe in the multiverse? <laughs> Uh, the multiverse. I think I hear the words. I still don't understand the question. <laughs> the multiverse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the the idea that there are uh, multiple realities going on at the same time, and we're just in one of them. Uh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's true, but I don't think that's a. Um, I don't think that's a uh, cosmological reality. I think that's just the way we've made our world. I'll close with a quote from James Baldwin. We made the world we're living in and we have to make it over again. Ooh, that's, that's the best answer we've had to that question. That's a, that's so that's a closer that right there, the folks. Yep. All right. Where can people find you online? This is a bonus sixth question. <laughs> oh, I'm on the Twitter uh, at Wilson Hartgrove and I have a website where you can check up on what I'm doing. It's called Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove.com. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. God damn it. Now that we puked in your sea, you can tell us what you think. The five stars get red, but one star is dead. It's a bicycle horn. We have a five star feedback. Oh, hey. Oh, we got a five. We had to take two weeks break to get one. So we'll see y'all in a month. It's called They're Great. By JD Fours. Oh, may the fours be with you. He's on Twitter, I think. Uh, I've been struggling with where I stand with the church and Christianity for a while now, and this podcast has helped me through that journey. Further up, further in is in is is filled with challenging insight and great interviews. The feedback hashtag also my signature sex move. (laughs) Did I just ruin Foofy? You ruin everything, Michael. You literally ruin everything. The feedback. When you're in these moods, like <laughs> you do, you shit on everything. You're an absolute human wrecking ball. The feedback hashtag section is hilarious and always manages to make me laugh on rough days. If you're listening and you're not in the pub, get there. The pub is more than just a safe place; it's family. Just last night, I was struggling with some stuff, and I posted in the pub, and the support was awesome. If you feel like you're standing alone, you're not. Get in the pub. Patreon.com/slash Pastors Podcast. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks, man. All right. Well, we got any twit tweets? Oh, I don't have any idea. Maybe. I don't know. All right, you want me to play some music to get us through? Um. <laughs> okay. Uh, T dot O dot at Knowles underscore TK. T dot O dot.
I was dying when MJ Basinger drunkenly and with a hashtag full waft of brute slightly said, I'm Irish, eat me. (laughs) (laughs) David Sloss at Dave the Explorer, listening to Epitode 190 of Pastor's Podcast and thought of a new drinking game. Every time Polly named Matt yells, Michael, you have to take a shot. Then I thought, no, the audience would go blind or die of alcohol poisoning. Hashtag waft of brute. Hashtag is there an umlaut. Hashtag don't stop balutin. <laughs> I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> don't stop balutin. Yeah, I was pretty proud of that. Don't stop balutin. Something, something, uh, something. Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right. All right. Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, that was our Twitter top 10. Any honorable mentions this week? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, let's do the hashtag thing. That we do. Well, we paid close attention and we wrote them all down. Now it's time to decide our hashtag. Hashtag straight no chaser cover band. <laughs> hashtag folklore. <laughs> I like that a lot. Folklore. 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 Hashtag tastes like a bait shop. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably going to be it. Yeah. Hashtag his brother Nick Nolte. Hashtag warm bag of cabbage. Hashtag like licking your grandma's thigh. Hashtag smells like barbecue in here. And then hashtag drive straight through the gate. Uh, hashtag I Michaela. I don't either. It was really recent. Hashtag Michaela's it. bitch. <laughs> we'll say that one for when Josh is here. Hashtag folklore. Hashtag it's please recycle. (laughs) That's a deep cut. It's please Uh, recycle. Hashtag tastes like a bait shop. Hashtag melted wax Nick Nolte. Hashtag tastes like an old person's house. Hashtag Ben (laughs) Bakurki. Al's brother. I have no idea how to spell that. I just spelled out Bakurki. I don't know. Uh, and then hashtag Dame Wanda Dench. Nice. <laughs> I've got uh, soft, fluffy mouthfeel. Hashtag tastes like a bait shop. That's... Hashtag warm bag of cabbage. Hashtag old spice warm and pepper. Warm bag of cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> Just to rewind. <laughs> Michael said that a baby feels like a warm bag of cabbage. Uh, hashtag old spice and peppermint dinner dinner mints hashtag almost jazzy hashtag ben burkirky hashtag shark tank for podcast ideas and hashtag fungal byproduct fungal byproduct uh, it's it's got to be either warm bag of cabbage or tastes like a bait shop. I'm fine with either one. Bread, okay. How about like warm bag of cabbage? That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty gross. All right, let's do it. If you've listened to this episode in its entirety, it's the Bun Social Media with the hashtag hashtag warm bag of cabbage. <laughs> We're on Twitter at Pastors Podcast. Huh? At MJ Basinger, <laughs> Facebook.com slash Pastors Podcast. Or on Instagram, you can check out my, my foamy head. 
at uh, Pastors on Instagram. Uh, support for this podcast comes from listeners like you. So subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Check out our website, ingloriouspastors.com. Also available on jizzmuzzle.com. Um, support us on Patreon to get access to, to shit. Uh, Patreon.com slash Pastors Podcast. I got a notification today uh, about our church website saying that I should I should lock it down for 99 cents. I can guarantee <laughs> that no one else could buy. We should reroute it to Corey's. We should. Totally should. I don't know if it's still available anymore. For 99 cents, we totally should. Lock it down. CityHillChurch.com. Is that what it Is was? That, no. It was like City... City Hill Martinsville or City Hill Church. Yeah, I think it's City Hill Martinsville. Our church for assholes. Nope, can't be reached. Okay. Oh, well. well, it's oh, it's not active anymore. Oh well, bummer. So I yeah. drag. What? Can we just end the? Why can't you just end it? Like you have to play something. We need post credit scenes. It's what we do. We're, we're the marvel of podcasts of all time. Brad's on. Brad just, <laughs> you just ended it. That, I mean, that's Brad unplugged everything. So, <laughs> bye everybody. <laughs>